Dick Dastardly. Quit Dick Dastardly's the other guy. Yes, Dick thank Dastardly. You. That's thank his name. Thank yeah. you. Which, I mean, also, what a good villain name. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> like, like, what do you do for work, Mr. Dastardly? <laughs> well, I'm evil. <laughs> I curl my mustache. Just a reminder, this is a spoiler-heavy podcast. Different series that require a spoiler warning will be in the description. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Gaming Theater Podcast. Today's episode is going to be our big season finale, and we're going to go over a brief history in animation series and films in the U.S. from Felix the Cat all the way to today, in 2023. Now, before we get started, a few of our guests from uh, GTP is on here to help discuss this topic, and we'll just quickly introduce each other. My name is Leo, I'm the Geek Scorpio, your host for today. I'm Brandon, aka Tomato Man. My name is Dane, I go by D and Dane everywhere on the internet, pretty much. And I'm Liz, and I go by Zombie Hand. But before we get started, we're going to take a quick trip to the Magical Merch Booth. Alright, here we are at the Magical Merch Booth. Now today, we're going to be doing something a little different, because as all the banners of the Magical Merch Booth show, we want to give a big shout out and thank you to everyone who has joined us in this crusade that is the Gaming Theater Podcast. I want to thank all our listeners, all the people who have followed us, and we are not stopping anytime soon. We have a bunch of different episodes and different series planned for our YouTube channel, and we have a whole second season already planned out as well, including a secondary podcast for for Gaming Theater RPG. There's so much that we have planned for it, and I hope we get the chance to do it well, and I and if we can, I want to thank everybody for listening to these episodes. Thank you, everybody. That being said, let's get back to the show. Okay, so today's topic is going to be really different. We're going to go over a brief history of animation works in the United States. I mostly picked the U.S. because that is the part I'm most familiar with, and because animation takes a whole series and world of changes everywhere in different parts of the world. And by saying this is a brief history, I mean a brief, brief history. Like the 1940s alone can take up a whole podcast episode of just animation. Now, the origin of this topic came from actually me going around a website called TV Tropes and bumping into an article that was written about the breakdown of different eras of animation. And I'll put links to that uh, article in the description. So if you want to go through some of that, uh, those examples yourself, you can take a look at them. With that, I'm going to start with this, this recording over and we figure we should start close to the beginning. Animation as a thing has been around for centuries and mostly in footbooks and a couple of other type of animation. What we recognize as animation currently starts about mm, the early 1900s, even 1890s. And what they were is just sort of animated uh, basically like flip books that are recorded. And when they're played back, you would be, this would be known as the silent era because they had no background music. They just had images that are on there. You would, I think, hire a person to play a series of music to be played with the animation that's on there. If you want a weird in-game video game example for that, Red Dead Revolver, no, no sorry, Red Dead Redemption 
actually has a point where you can watch some of these old cartoons that are designed in the similar way. Now, that being said, this is where we have the silent era and certain things become experimental. One of the silent er big silent era characters in this case is Felix the Cat, who's probably the biggest animation thing at this point in time. So big, he becomes the first image ever shown on a television is Felix the Cat. The first animated image or the first image at all? It was the first broadcast item on television. Oh. But he had a series of cartoons that were running around in the 1900s and up until about the 1920s. Um, there's other um, archival footage that you might be able to find. There's one about a dinosaur. I can't remember its name off the top of my head. But there was a series of, of animated shorts with them. And most of these were shorts because they were usually broadcasted in theaters in film theaters for um it was very popular at the time to actually put um not just propaganda video and stuff in front of uh theater reels before a film but also just short form cartoons and that's where a lot of classics that we've seen and have seen evolve into full-on shows and franchises actually began was propaganda film previews or just little shorts before a film and you can see that in um who framed roger rabbit i mean they actually have Roger Rabbit sitting in a theater, like loving that the cartoons are playing. And then the when a propaganda thing comes up, he's like, forget this. And then goes back to talking to, um, to his, I guess, savior, Eddie. Yeah. <laughs> I, I believe that's the case. And that movie takes place, I think in the thirties for who famed Roger Rabbit. So thirties were, yeah. So not in the silent film era. In fact, the silent film era does end with Disney specifically when they come out with Steamboat Willie. This is sort of the, where we find the ending of the silent era of films entirely, but also of animation. Because during this ending, they would have Steamboat Willie would be on, and it's the first vocally, I think it's, they actually had vocal recordings and other uh, and music recordings in the, in the film itself. So with that, um, Mickey Mouse basically takes us out of the silent era and into the next age, which is between the 1920s, roughly to the 50s, what they call the golden age of animation. There's a At this point, animation is starting to get into newer and deeper depths. We have um, yeah, cartoons that are being used that are no longer in black and white, but also in color start showing up. Cartoon serials that are based upon different um, series start showing up. There's a lot of different really big things that happen during this time frame. So something that a lot of people don't realize is Disney is not the biggest game, is not the only game in town as far as animation. They're just the most famous one because of Steamboat Willie. And since they understand how to make that film, or sorry, that cartoon, with sound, they keep making other cartoons with sound and while other animated studios catch up. If you want an example of excellent 40s style cartoon, you have to go with Max Fle uh, Fletcher. Max Fletcher created Betty Boop and made several different Betty Boop cartoons as well. But one of the big things that he got his hands on is the rights to do Superman, which is a really interesting story. Superman, as a comic book character at this point in time, is the biggest comic book character. And as we know, historically, is I think he's still considered the first superhero ever. Well, when was he introduced? Superman, 1930. Because I know that um, Batman was also introduced in about the 30s. Yeah. The Phantom as well. Yeah, the Phantom as well. Um, the Phantom is more related to serials than than as a superhero comic. Oh wow! Uh, um, also, sorry, when you say it's um, silence, the like, did the cartoons actually have no sound, or was it just the music? Because I know in the twenties, um, it had no silent movies. 
it had no vocal, no sound, no no one talking. No speech. It was no speech. So there was music. It was like part of the silent film era. Correct. For Steamboat Willie, that was part okay. of the silent film era. And for uh, but once we Mickey Mouse had a voice, they just kept going with that, and that sort of ended the silent era. Then started going moving over to um the into the the new golden age where Disney this is where Disney gets its hands on production on it and Disney will and I'll get into that in a second. Let's go back with Max Fleischer real quick. Because what happens is Max Fleischer takes uh gets the rights to do Superman. The most interesting thing about that is they ask him basically uh, they ask the Fleischer Studios, hey, I think uh we need to have Superman made cartoons. Can you make them to for us? Max Fleischer did not want to make any Superman cartoons. So he gave them an astronomical number at that time. He's like, I'm going to pick a number out of a hat. And then after that, I'm going to double that number. And let's hope that no, because I don't want to do this. And I don't think anybody else would be, would be interested. And the studio, which I can't remember the name of the studio, gets the, uh, decides, oh man, that's a lot of money. How about if we pay you about 75% of that? And he's like, oh, okay. I think they it's something of the tune of like uh, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. It, it was stupid oh, money. Yeah. It was stupid. And this is in 1930s money. It and, is and the fact that they even agreed to that much of his stupid money as a counter offer is asinine. I mean, I mean, if you think about that today, it's like that's literally like saying, hey, would you like to set up yourself for life as well as your children and grandchildren <laughs> <laughs> to kind of go along with that leo i just did a quick google search it looks like the first superhero fiction comic mm-hmm. is hugo hercules which debuted in 1902 okay uh, but looking it up it looks like just a dude in a hat yeah. so i don't know if it's like <laughs> quite the same thing i mean he had superpowers yeah. but i don't know if it was quite the same thing as like Superman mm. wearing his you know outfit and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Additionally, and his name was Hugo. What? Hugo Hercules. Yeah. Though it does have the alliteration, the superhero alliteration, so that's kind of a, a neat, mm-hmm. uh, a neat thing. Clark Kent, etc. Uh, but do you think the Silver and Gold Age? Uh, I mean, obviously, the cinema mm-hmm. did it precede comics. I mean, obviously, cinema was around before comics, so that's not what I mean. What I mean is that do you think the Silver and Gold Age mirrored? Uh, the silver and gold age of film. So, because we typically refer to comics as like the silver age of comics, the gold age of comics, yada yada yada. For the most part, they do up until because the golden age of movies are considered about the forties or so, which is the same time mm-hmm. as they're around as the golden age of comics. Gotcha. And then the silver age is about the fifties and sixties, which is where we consider the silver age that. Then you go into the bronze age, which is roughly about the sixties through the seventies, and then. But I don't think we. So his comic historians actually keep going past that. Film historians, I don't think they do keep going past that, because we're I think in the, because there is a Bronze Age, there is an Iron Age, which is somewhere in the nineties or so, and then there's one more age after that, and I think that's where we get to the modern age at that point. There, there is other ones. Gotcha. Um. Yeah. So Max Fleischer had a budget of about. $50,000 to make 16 episodes, which in if you wanted to compare that to today's money is something like 600 almost half a million dollars to make 10 episodes. Uh, yeah, hi. I'll learn animation again. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Um, fifth about the first cartoon had a budget of about fifty thousand dollars, and other sixteen each had oh fifty thousand dollars for the first for just the first uh, episode of Superman, oh, and then right, thirty thousand dollars for all the episodes after that. What year? Nineteen. Uh, where's the equivalent of that? Are you gonna do an inflation? I was gonna check calculator. That. No, it's fifty thousand dollars in nineteen forty-two. Oh, f- sorry, forty-one. Nineteen forty-one. The episodes came out in forty-two. It's forty-one is when they make it. Uh, so fifty grand then is the equivalent purchasing power of over a million dollars today. Oh my god! Can you imagine spending a million dollars on a cartoon on one episode? On one episode of a cartoon that you don't even know is going to be successful. Yeah, and the guy didn't even want to do. Yeah. <laughs> nobody so. would Nobody would do that. Like, nobody would put money down on that these days. Yeah. <laughs> All I'm saying, listeners, if, if there's an idea you have that you want to see realized, I'll try to do it for a million dollars, however much. I don't want to, but I'll try. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> Dude, I, I learned animation once, and it was so fun to learn. I'll do it again. Was it Flash? We'll... we'll yeah, if you want to back... No, G- I it was like 2D animation drawn. Right, I meant like flash animation, which is no, not even I drew, I hand really drew anymore it. because they... I hand drew it myself on paper oh. and then I scanned it in and... Gotcha, and... frame animation, better, I love it. Yes. So if you want GTP to make an animation series for you, I'm just going to level with you. A million bucks an episode, we'll do it. We'll find a way. <laughs> I'll do we'll, it. We'll, we'll find a way. We'll figure it out. <laughs> Um, there, there's some executive out there that's like millions of steel. Sign these people. <laughs> so <laughs> even better with that. So like the thing is that if you're wondering how good and how stylistic this is for 1940s, if you ever get a chance to watch these old cartoons, they hold up in animation mm-hmm. style. I actually have something to note on that. Oddly enough, mm-hmm. my grandparents had old Superman serials on cassette. Uh, and when I was like, oh. when I was 10, no, not even 10, I think I was like probably six, mm-hmm. um, but all the way up through whenever I would go and visit them, that was what I would watch as I would put those in. I mean, there wasn't a, a huge amount of detail, but the animation was excellent. Very solid, very fluid. Mm-hmm. It didn't jump. I mean, this was when they were paying attention to, you know, the, the flow of motion. Um, like I said, not a lot of detail, mm-hmm. but... I mean, you can't argue with, you know, the way they had the frames animate. They were done very well. And even for that being like the 90s, when I saw those, mm. they're, they're still good. Mm-hmm. It's funny to say that because that art style is the inspiration for Batman the Animated Series and mm-hmm. Justice League the, uh, and Justice League Unlimited, Superman the Animated Series. And I, think, and, I, was, I think ironically, Superman the Animated Series, <laughs> like Superman inspired Superman. Nailed it. Right. <laughs> It's like high-fiving yourself. I'm like, dang, yeah. we're good. <laughs> the but, biggest um, difference there was better shading. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, um, so Max Fletcher does these cartoons, and they hold up to the te- The animation style holds up to the te- test time. Stories can't say the same, but the animation style works great. If you want to go sort of a more wacky and Looney Tune-esque, one of the kings of the Looney Tune series at this point is Tex Avery, an animator mm-hmm. and director who has made a ton of things. Basically, I think he, at the time he was considered almost the anti-Disney. Like, Disney makes their cartoons and, uh, with Donald and Goofy and, and and Mickey, and he goes bonkers and just makes Looney Tunes. 
And the thing is that he sticks around with the Looney Tunes for throughout most of the 50s, I think, and even part of the way through the 60s. So he, uh, and so he helps pioneer. There's other directors and other animators do that, but Tex Avery did a ton of these sort of things. Now, if you're wondering how Disney factors into this, Disney has been an innovator in animation for ever. That's like their job. Um, what Disney does, though, is that th around this time, uh, they make they start work on a giant animation project, which is a big animation project, which is um, Snow White, which is the first fully animated motion picture, which you've got to realize that's all what hand drawn images and it's oh, yeah. two mm -hmm. hours. It would take forever, but they did it. I don't think Snow White actually won any awards back then, though. I don't think there were even um, awards available at the time, honestly. And that's true. Animation doesn't get its sort of due until a lot later in... Yeah, it was often seen as, like, childish kids' things. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, not, there's no substance there. A lot of people made the argument. Yeah, I think it's only recently that people started actually saying that animation needs to be, like, in movie awards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say, like, 2000 forward, probably. I feel like it's even sooner than that, but I also might be thinking about superhero movies because those are those only very recently actually got. Oddly enough, the first Academy Award for animation wasn't a thing until 2002, with the first one being given to Shrek. Yeah, Shrek is so good, though. So good. It really is. It is. And we'll get to Shrek 2, though. Shrek 2 is good, too. I was talking Shrek 1. I don't know where we got 2 from, but... That was me. I meant to say, we'll talk about Shrek 2 as in the word also, and now it's into Shrek 2. No, I didn't hear you even say that. I was just saying Shrek 2 is a better movie than Shrek 1, and Shrek 1 is amazing. And oddly enough, the history on this... They even touch on the 1938 release of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. 38, um, that's when that movie comes out. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, it's talking about here how just there was not enough produced at the time to justify consideration. And that's why it took so long for them so, to actually be included. Mm -hmm. and, and that's I'm talking big, feature length, not for like... feature length. And that makes sense. Here's the thing about animation, especially back then. Animation is expensive and time-consuming to make. Um... A lot of people, especially nowadays, when you tell them, hey, we have a um, stop motion animation, what, there's like maybe one every few years? Because yeah. they take a lot yeah. of time to make. Oh, they're crazy. Even that's like really going out of style. And it's such so unfortunate because stop motion is really neat. Oh, yeah, it's with like Wallace and Gromit and um, Nightmare Before Christmas did so well. Um, Coraline. Mm -hmm. Um was stop motion oh there was one recently oh it was um i think it was guillermo del toro's pinocchio yes i believe is that it? is yeah. one. was stop motion um i will note too that jurassic park started production as being a stop motion mm -hmm. for the for all of the dinosaurs and uh about halfway through the production of all the models and stuff it was presented that uh they could really do something with computer technology and that's what killed it for that movie is that that you would you weren't going to get any of that um, stop motion. Uh, mm -hmm. Some of the stuff was retrofitted and utilized for I think the um, like the the Dilophosaurus and stuff, but the stop motion animation just mm -hmm. gone. Yeah, the guy basically um, I think he went on record saying that this is going to put us all out of business. 
But yeah. Oh, <laughs> me and Leo were talking a, b- a bit about that earlier about uh, when Spirits Within first came out and mm. people in Hollywood were like, is this going to make actors obsolete? No. You still nope. need the voice, guys. <laughs> I think that's really a good point, too. Like, there has been in recent years kind of this drive away. I know I'm jumping the shark just yeah. a little bit, but uh, this movement away from traditional hand-drawn cell-by-cell, frame-by-frame animation mm. to the more CGI. We're seeing it in Western. We're seeing it in, in anime. Mm. Uh, but what I do think is interesting is that there are still studios that still do it. And I think much like practical effects in movies, now I'm not a CGI hater in movies. I think it can be done very well. Uh, But I think practical effects can also be done very well. And we're kind of seeing, at least as far as I'm aware, a resurgence of practical effects alongside CGI. And I think that's what really is kind of interesting because before it was all practical and then it was all CGI. Mm -hmm. And now they're kind of marrying the two together and being like, why not both? Yeah. Yeah. And if you do it. And they're doing that in cartoons too. Mm -hmm. Practical animation also just holds up so much better really than does. like any kind of practical effect. And that's why, like, I don't know, your horror monster in a movie having an outfit, like an actual outfit and prosthetics might end up looking cheesy in the future, but it's still going to hold up a lot better than your shitty CG. <laughs> Do you all ever see Beast Wars, the Transformers yes, series? I loved that show. Uh-uh. Unironically. Well, yeah. Same. <laughs> when I was a kid, blew my mind i was like this is the future this is amazing and you go back and watch it now i love that series mm-hmm. yeah and then but go, it does not hold oh, up very well and then you remember the i feel Nazi similarly show and then you're like oh Ooh, yeah i feel similarly about reboot oh Incredible yeah show, but man does the animation not hold up after a while no. uh, yeah, that's correct but man at the time that was so but also like looking at it like <laughs> It's so, it's just so neat because it is the first completely, um, computer generated, like completely computer generated show. And like, they had a lot of different, um, like puns, like computer generated (laughs) puns. So like Fong, Mm -hmm. the, the wise old guy, um, actually is shaded using Fong shading (laughs) and, um, Ray Tracer, yeah, the the surfer guy he actually was made using ray tracing and Exo so like it's gigabyte yeah. i mean yeah 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 like there it's just so cool to like <laughs> like they had such a fun sense of humor but then also it's like until i took animation um courses like see because uh, I, I did frame by frame but mm-hmm. then i also did um 3d animation um and like 3D modeling and such. Like, yeah, Fong shading is a type of shading, and ray tracing <laughs> is a lot more common now because graphics cards, but yeah. Um N64 has like, like, what you're t- talking about. <laughs> you you cannot convince me that's not what the inside of a computer looks like, just for the record. <laughs> oh, 100%. yeah. Every time I play a game and I'm beating enemies, I'm just killing all the I'm killing all the characters in there. <laughs> Are we the baddies? You're deleting uh, the viruses. We might you're be. doing great. We might be. Uh, unless you play an internet game, then not so much. Oh yeah. Um. All right. But back into Trek, into the chronology. Mm. We'll get to all of that. That's in the future. Um. But we're in the forties right now. And so, briefly into the forties, the biggest effect of into animation is World War Two. Mostly, World War Two has. Um. There's and there's tons and tons of animation that things that you sneeze, see from the snafu is one of them. But for the war effort. People who worked in comics and who worked in move in animation made things for soldiers back then. Now this is important and still worked on their own projects as well. 
there are several different film animation films that are out there to because animation is easier at least the way that they believe it was easier for people to understand things so they would animate a lot of training videos and such to so that because to quickly get people to be trained at least enough to go overseas and to get into the war now the reason why this is such a big war effort on that is a lot of the animation that Disney does gets used to be played in film theaters in Japan after World after uh, the after World War II. The reason why that's important is most animation historians feel this is the sort of the, the spot where anime might be generated, where it comes from as an animation style. There's even uh, interviews with people who would be basically taking a pencil and paper, going to the movie theater to watch uh, Pinocchio or Snow White, and hand-drawing everything there just to get practice on how to do art and animate. And so this is where we'll see seeds for this going through. And But anime becomes a whole different thing later in life. But right now after this, we sort of move into the late, into the mid to late 50s, into the 60s. This is where things become kind of a dark age especially into the set and going into the 70s. So here's where we leave Disney, the golden age from this, and we're now in the sort of silver age for us. Now, what happens is that we have the rise of other animation companies trying to work their way into that. The big one at this point would be Hanna-Barbera. Depending on how you feel, uh, how some people see about this, Hanna-Barbera cartoons is either, and other cartoon companies like Filmation, um, they use more dialogue-heavy animation mostly to save on money and on trying to animate things. Um, Liz, you explained it to me, like they remove certain frame keyframes or certain frames do this. So most animation and, and most decent animation <laughs> is um, you animate on it's, it's, it's called animating on twos. And so if there's 24 frames a second, you are drawing frame one, three, five, seven, nine, etc., and you can you can leave out frames two, four, six, eight because your eye actually can't see it can't perceive it fast enough to parse that you know there's those frames missing. Twenty four frames a second is like the the lowest you can go before your before your eye will start seeing before that there's frames missing. P animation studios like Hanna Barbera started trying to. Um, do things cheaper so they would animate on threes or fours <laughs> so then you get frame one four seven four five six eight. yeah whatever um and that's when you can start noticing that old Hanna-Barbera cartoons don't look as good and they don't move as good and sometimes they can feel more awkward um and so you'll also see that a lot of them won't have as much movement um because if you're if you're only seeing the mouth move that's easier to do with than you know it's it's easier it's harder to see that the frames aren't missing or that the frames are missing it, it was, yeah anyway <clears throat> it was very popular for them too to um do a lot of loops like running mm -hmm. background loops as well to cut down on yeah how much more they had to draw that's why when you look at scooby-doo and stuff they always have those segments where it's like but da, 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 where they're running da, in between the like doors in and out and in and out yeah and you're watching like a rotation loop mm -hmm. almost like something spinning with an animation in front of it and that's also on its own loop 
and every now and then it kind of you see it drop a frame <laughs> so mm -hmm. it's like that add credence to even what liz is explaining here if you go back and watch any of those you'll you'll see a small judder here and there in that and that's what that is is they're they're cutting the corners where they could where it made sense to but then when you see like the facial animations those are a bit smoother mm -hmm. all three of those shows are so good though <laughs> they are they they're do so they are good, like really though. fun <laughs> But it's yeah. just they were trying to get a lot of cartoons out for cheaper. Mm. And so they were animating low. And there's even some like if you find those old like, um, I don't know, like Little Mermaid would come out. So then some company, some super dirt cheap company would try and do their own Little Mermaid with their aunts and uncles as voice actors <laughs> and like animating in their garage, you know, whatever, like, and they try to do it a lot cheaper and you can really see the difference um, in how it is. Oh uh, yes. The little mer girl. <laughs> no, it was public domain um, actually. So it was still just little mermaid. Well, Cause it was a Hans Christian Anderson. Yeah. <laughs> it was extra confusing. Um, hence Disney's but, the little mermaid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but speaking of the looping animation, um, I actually learned about that in Mulan back when I think it was like the diamond versions of the DVDs were coming out and they they had um, the pop up video versions of the <laughs> movies. <laughs> and, um, I used to I watched the one for Aladdin and I watched um, little, uh, Mulan and they actually said there's scenes in Mulan like when the um, avalanche is happening and like taking out all the Huns and stuff. Mm -hmm they actually repeat cycles of animation just every few seconds, but it's moving so fast because it's an avalanche <laughs> that your eye won't catch on to it unless you know to look for it. And that's where, that's where Hanna-Barbera did not know what they were doing, but Disney is clever because they have lots and lots of money <laughs> to be clever with. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, you're also looking at quite a few year difference here too. Yeah. This is like, the so, when did Mulan but, come out? Know, I mean, they were doing that in early animation but, as yeah. well. It wasn't just Mulan. <laughs> right, right. Now, and Hanna-Barbera was 80s, I think. Um, the Hanna-Barbera stays in the game for a long, long time. Yeah, they they um, do so, uh, rerun and syndication. Yeah, they never tried to get better. Yeah. Uh, they did. They did try to get better, but that's because every they had to catch up. Um, yeah. The 80s really is where they end up having to do that stuff. So, yeah. And I mean, there are yeah, some no things one... that... The, the the big mouse company has taken from other animation studios and just used uh, allegedly allegedly we'll allegedly yeah please also please Hanna, please Hanna Barbera don't sue us yeah. or Disney <laughs> or, or anyone mentioned here anyone. <laughs> we're just talking you know what no we're we're protected under fair use for educational rights and purposes so uh, yeah, I'm going to cover my bases <laughs> allegedly, uh, allegedly the mouse does things. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we don't. We don't. There's a couple of entities we we don't mess with. But yeah, look, Disney look, does not mess around. All I'm going to say: look up Kimba the White Lion. No, change your mind. Change your mind. Oh, God. Why would you do this? <laughs> and Leo's cut Dane out of this entirely. All right, moving on. Oh, we're um, suddenly suddenly Dane or suddenly Liz and Brandon are talking to. To a, a ghost. <laughs> um, is it but the yeah. space ghost? Ooh. Ooh. Segway. <laughs> Johnny Quest all right, all and right. Space Ghost. Ooh. Amazing in the 60s. Yeah. Johnny Quest, Space ghost, 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 Yogi Bear. And if you're looking at it, it's not hard to find. You see where they're saving things. They'll even go through the... Um, if you're ever wondering, Hanna-Barbera, a lot of their characters will wear ties. Because that way they don't have to draw a neck. 
Mm-hmm. It's, My God, that's, that's how incredible. looking at you, Fred Flintstone. That's how yeah. how tight that they were with trying to make a cheaper animation. Now, Liz is right because of this, or it's either Liz or Rand who said this, but because of this, they could make more, and they just did make more. In fact, this is where we actually get to prime time. For anyone who doesn't know what this means, prime time is uh, is usually about what seven to eight in the uh, in the evening. Now, the way TV studios, especially back then, would limit types of, uh, would change the types of programming for these time frames. In the morning, it was going to be more children and uh, oriented child, uh, uh, programming. In the mid afternoon, it was stuff that was more like soap operas and dramas because this was designed for people who were staying at home, but they were still adults. Then you got into prime time, which is generally for the majority of an adult audience. Now, the reason why that's important is. This is where we get into the Flintstones and the and Jetsons. Now, as far as animation goes, kind of simplistic, just like the rest of Hanna Barbera. However, they try their best to target a adult audience without changing their motif, so they still feel like children cartoons for it. It's, it's a subtle tone adjustment that mm-hmm. they kind of ease into with it, so that way they're enticing not only the children, but the parents as well. That's um why a lot of shows, a lot of kids' shows, not like tiny kids' shows, but you know, like your your eight to eight to fourteen year old TV shows will have dirty jokes in it that only the adults will catch on mm-hmm. to because mm-hmm. you gotta make that time appealing for the people who have to sit there with their children. <laughs> who are literally yeah. required to be a bystander to this event. Yeah. Hundred <laughs> yes. percent. And it's great uh, to go as a back quick and note, catch those too actually. Yeah, there are some things that I miss as a kid for sure. Uh, speaking real quick about the Jetsons, uh, George Jetson was allegedly born last year in July. That's true. That's right. Hey. Oh, wow. We got like, to wish him. We're close to whenever. I don't know when this is going to go up, but it doesn't matter. Um, a nearly first birthday to Mr. George Jetson, wherever he is. Yeah. Happy nearly first birthday, George Jetson. Oh, yeah. We all expect gr- big things out of you. <laughs> <laughs> now how are your kids <laughs> and jane his wife yes. now once we start getting towards the end of the 60s though this is where we get into some syndication stuff and one of the and we're gonna leave this area of the 50s and 60s but because animation is getting cheaper and cheaper we bump into a weird set of things however the quality of it drops and we bump into some weird stuff disney starts doing a lot more live action stuff entirely they leave animation and don't put a lot of focus into it. The main reason why is animation expensive. Mm-hmm. In so uh, it true it true. Um, so this is where you get this weird gap where there's not a whole lot of animated films that Disney does. They do one or two. They do come up. They're they're like around here. I think Bambi comes up around this time frame, or at least Robin Hood. Is this the? Is that the forties? This is the 60s and 70s. Oh, I thought Robin Hood was older than that. <laughs> There's a reason. They still work in animation, but the focus isn't nearly as big. And that's because it's so in the cost of making one animated movie, they could have made four or five live action films. This is where you get like Treasure Island, um, Robinson Crusoe, and a bunch of other ones that they were. This is, this is also when I think Disney had the, uh, the distribution and or... Uh, release rights for the Muppets, I believe, too. I was gonna say, was that a Muppet Treasure Island we're talking about? No, but that was that won't 40, come up until or that was nineties. The nineties, 
in the 80s. That's my yeah, choice. I think I think Muppet Treasure Island was 90s, I think. Uh the Muppets won't will go into into major filmmaking until the seven until the late 70s early. And let's be honest too, Disney's mm-hmm. got a lot of hitters. They've got a lot of amazing films, but there are also a lot of ones that are not mm-hmm. remembered. The Reluctant Dragon from this list <laughs> I'm looking at. Uh <laughs> Victory through yep. air power. That's the one I remember. I think we all remember yeah, that one. Favorite. Uh, <laughs> yeah, make mine music in '46. Uh, there's, there's one. I, I this is a quick aside, but I had a, a high school teacher who showed us a Japanese version of Song mm. of the South. Whoa! Is it class. just as racist? Oh yeah. Oh, one hundred percent. So they're speaking in Japanese, but the <laughs> oh, movie's okay. the same. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it, it had it had subtitles, but because like that was the only version of this film that mm-hmm. they could find. Because uh, it's 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 a wild ride. Uh, so like, there's this time in the 40s and 50s, and kind of going into the 60s and 70s, where like Disney's still making some good things. You know, Cinderella comes out in 50, The Adventures of Ichabod mm-hmm. and Mr. Toad in 49. But there are also some, some mm-hmm. duds. I Lots of duds. Black Hole when they try to do a, a horror film. Yeah, that thing is a dud. Um, when they, however, when did they get to Touchstone Interactive? Later, later, way yeah, later. Cause I, or, yeah, because I know that Disney likes liked to experiment a lot through Touchstone mm-hmm. because they really didn't want to hurt their image any more than I'm going to say they probably did in the past. Like that mm-hmm. movie you just mentioned, Leo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we are going to leave that. So Disney backs out of a lot of stuff. Now, here's where we get a weird cause and effect sort of situation because Disney is backing out of doing a lot more animation. A lot of other animation companies don't try to beat Disney. No need to try to fight the king of the king's not going to be there. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, with yeah, that, yeah. this is sort of the between the 60s to roughly the 80s. This is sort of known colloquially as the dark ages of animation. This is where animation gets even cheaper, and people try to figure out other ways around things. Now, this is for good. Or Animating for- on twelve. <laughs> <laughs> Leo, Leo, I absolutely love and adore you, but we cannot mi- leave the sixties without talking about the goat Scooby Doo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh no, I'm bringing Scooby Doo up. I'm sorry, he's important. Well, sorry, you, you said seventies <laughs> and eighties, and I was like, hold on a minute, so- well, let's go back to the sixties, you know. It's because of the syndication. <laughs> it's because of the syndication. This is where I was getting at. So, sure, 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 sure. Gotcha, Scooby-Doo gotcha, gotcha. Is the go- okay, now, okay, okay. Scooby-Doo comes out. Now, after Scooby-Doo, uh, Scooby-Doo talking dog or teenagers waiting to, you know, solve crimes because mysteries were huge in the 60s and 70s, apparently. It's a thing. So, you know, there's a masks. A lot of guys in masks running around. And honestly, <laughs> really solid storytelling for, for Scooby-Doo, especially for those. People enjoyed it a lot. So much so, when we get to the 70s, there is roughly about, I think, 10 or 11 different cartoons, which are Scooby-Doo, but this. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, this is when we start yeah. to see, like, Josie and the Pussycats, a Speed Buggy, uh, the Funky Phantom. Jim and the Holograms. No, that's 80s. That'll move up later. Gem uh, the ho- yeah, Jim comes later, but it is definitely mm-hmm. based off of Josie and the Pussycats. Uh, <laughs> I, I hate... I hate to say this this title is a simpler time, uh, but the mm-hmm. amazing Chan and the Chan clan. <laughs> I've never I've never heard of that. Oh yeah. It's it's a hundred percent what you think it is, but it's a bunch that of, of uh, I believe they're Chinese Americans who go around solving mysteries. 
Uh, they do, and um, apparently they're based off a much older, also just as bad, um, Charlie Chan. Oh yeah, Jabberjaw. Oh, uh, Jabberjaw. Sorry, I, I'm just remember. Like my my brain is unlocking <laughs> all of the Scooby Doo likes, and it's just like filtering it through my memories. Would you put your your psych locks are being broken, a la Ace Attorney style? A hundred percent. Wasn't there? One with a caveman guy? Yeah, Captain Caveman yeah. and the K-Girls, I think is what it was called. But there's uh, Captain there's, Caveman. Oh, no, no, there was oh uh, Chuck gosh. Rock. Was there Chuck Rock at this time? Chuck there was a Rock. Chuck Rock. Is that, is that a caveman? Because that sounds like a caveman name. Uh, yes. I think Chuck Rock. Is That's it, a video game. That a video that, game? Well, he got video games later, yes. Let me double check this now. Yeah. Oh. Let's see. I think I got the name wrong for Captain Caveman. Uh, no, I'm not thinking Chuck Rock. Gosh, what was the... There's a, a it was a Hanna Barbera. Yeah. I'm just saying, um, you should make an idea called Chuck Rock. There's a video game clever. for it. Yeah, and it looks. Oh, sorry, it's itself. Captain Caveman and the Teen Angels. That's what it was. Captain Caveman and the Teen Angels. The Teen Angels. That was it. Wacky races. I love the fact that uh, oh, wacky races. Then, yeah, 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 yeah. I love the fact that Hanna Barbera was basically like, you take a talking weird thing and you put it with some kids and they solve mysteries. It writes itself. And like, they did like 13 of these. Had like a crossover. It was like a crossover thing with a bunch of Hanna Barbera properties, I think. Yeah. Like, that's where I'm thinking of like the caveman. Dudley mm-hmm. Do Right and all yeah, that. Dudley Do Right. Remember Dudley Do Right? Oh my gosh, yeah. Snidely yep. Whiplash. Yeah, oh my wait, gosh. Wasn't, the, the dog. Wasn't Dudley Do Right part of um, Rocky and Bullwinkle? Yeah, I think yeah. so. But uh, what Rocky and Bullwinkle came out before this time period, didn't it? They came out in the fifties and sixties, yeah. And Sherman and Peabody. Sure. Mm-hmm. Oh it yeah. Was, um... Just a bunch of nerds waxing nostalgic <laughs> about old cartoons. <laughs> about what we grew up watching on syndication. Yes. I used yeah. to play a ton. Or I used to watch a ton of Rocky and Bullwinkle. What was um? Yeah. What was the, the was Snidely Whiplash the evil guy from Dudley Do Right? It, that was the. Um, I think it was the dog. No, but he got his own cartoon. No, he's he's from Rocky and Bullwinkle. I'm pretty sure. No, he's from Snidely Whiplash. Is from is from Dudley Do Right. He's Dudley Do Right's father. Um, what you're thinking of is uh, I was gonna say Snidely Whiplash sounds exactly like a villain name, and I feel like I remember that being. Yeah, um, he was in Rocky and Bullwinkle, but he was in the Dudley Do Right portion of Rocky and Bullwinkle. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I will also mention um, Quick Drama. Oh, Quick Drama. Yep. Dick Dastardly. Quit Dick Dastardly's the other guy. Yes, Dick thank Dastardly. You. That's thank his name. Thank yeah. you. Which, I mean, also, uh, oh what a gosh. good villain name. <laughs> like, like, it's true. What do you do for work, Mr. Dastardly? Well, I'm evil. <laughs> I curl my mustache. And then my dog snickers in the background. Dick Dastardly. Muttley. Muttley was Muttley. the name of his... Uh... Who was the... Muttley. Muttley. There was a, mm-hmm. a like a McGilla Gorilla. Penelope Pitstop. Oh, yes. They had like a really weird like racing name. Mm-hmm. It was a weird wacky races was weird because it was a bunch of racers racing on this thing. And I believe there's even a series of Keystone Cops, which is just a car with thirty cops on the car just holding on to each other. Incredible. So yeah, there was a bunch of these guys, which is weird because this also means that Hanna Barbera is ripping off Hanna Barbera by making these <laughs> these clones of themselves. Oh. Couldn't remember, but if you're wondering, hey, did I ever do it? Did they ever do a kaiju? They had Great Ape. Oh, yeah. Great Ape, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of which, um, Great Ape sounds like a child soda. It or does, 100%. but it's a 60 foot tall ape. Who Who's might purple. Who might sell soda on the side? Mm hmm. And solve crimes. Um, <laughs> so the reason why you see all these talking animals solving crimes with a group of whoever, typically teenagers, 
is because Scooby-Doo is the GOAT. And if you're the best animated series out there, you are going to copy it and copy it and copy it. Even if you made it. Even if you made it. <laughs> Template reuse, man. It writes itself. So the thing is, this is where things get a little cheaper. Now, sometimes you get a little bit advantageous. Um, back in the early 70s is when the United States gets started with anime. Oof, yeah. So anime starts coming over with things like Speed Racer, Voltron, I guess Battleship Yamato, but I thought that was later. But Because it's cheaper to take already existing animation, redub it with... Who, and remember... Voice acting is considered is not outside of Mel Blanc, which does like a thousand and one voices, not a popular thing yet, which is sucks because there's great voice actors around this time. Jim Cummings is uh, yep. comes to mind. Still amazing. Still amazing. Oh, yeah. Incredible, dude. Oh, what is it? They had. Uh, oh, Frank Welker. Yeah. I'm yes. thinking of, yeah. yeah. Who did Scooby and who does Scooby and Fred? He, he does Scooby, and I think he's got the longest track record like, playing Fred for from the seventies to now. Yeah. Oh, I, oh I, yeah. I was gonna say Casey Kasem did Scooby. Oh no, no he Shaggy. Did Shaggy. Shaggy. Never mind. God, it was Shaggy was so good. Matthew mm-hmm. Lillard's is always so good. So good. I remember being shocked when I learned that Casey Kasem did. Um, well, you hear him voice. on like you I know was... the top twenty or top hundred or whatever it was every weekend, right? And like, God, yeah. his voice was iconic. So well, and then you got to also give credit to. Um, speaking of Shaggy, I have to shout out uh, Matt Lillard because yeah. oh, his portrayal amazing. Yes, he did um, an excellent job recreating that voice for the modern day, especially since he did the oh, live yeah. action character too. He's the heir apparent, a hundred percent. I um, I also just learned that Matthew Lillard is going to be in the Five Nights at Freddy's live action movie. I did Sorry, hear about I just that had to too. get That's that out. That very interesting because <laughs> his first it. really really big movie, actually, oddly mm-hmm. enough, was Scream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. With that, um, Hanna-Barbera is sort of the major cartoon player in this ga- in the game right at this point in time. Anybody who's wanting to work in animation is basically either independent or one of these other... Before I move on, let's get back to anime real quick. Anime gets to be... They would redub it because it was cheaper to redub it, and then they air it. Unfortunately, because of how certain rights <laughs> and issues happen with that, you have a big, big problem. So... In a segue for this real quick, one of the most syndicated shows that we have in the United States is I Love Lucy, followed by Star Trek. But one of the big reasons why is because the studio that runs it is Desilu Studios, originally back then. Lucille Ball made sure to archive as much stuff as possible. So this is why we oh. have the original episodes from Star Trek Online, or sorry, sorry, Star Trek, the original series, including The Cage, which was the pilot. They made the pilot, aired it once. And it didn't, it sucked so bad that they uh, changed the entire cast, but one guy. Oh yeah. They actually, if you watch it on um, Mm -hmm. Netflix, you can actually watch the original Mm -hmm. pilot episode and then see how drastically different it is. Mm -hmm. And they use, they actually use clips from the pilot episode as like a historical, it's like something for Kirk. Yeah. Yeah, So Here's where things get wrong. The reason why is because they're they're famous for it. Because uh, Lucille Ball had, and Desi Arnaz, when they ran Desi Lu, had an idea for syndication. So they would keep it running and make extra money on top of the show that they're making. Not every studio had either that had that kind of foresight to keep as much. And we're not in, into the world of streaming where you just need to have content constantly for it. The, why this is important is because this is why you have so few episodes of the older animes from this. The biggest problem with it is because that's not how all, all companies archive. The worst story I've heard about this is Asteroid 
first major anime that came to the United States. To get it to the United States, they sold all the rights to Astro Boy to a studio. I want to say it's NBC, but I'm not certain about that. But they sold it to an American studio. After they finished it on the air, they were done with their contract and they wanted to return Astro Boy back. But they couldn't because they sold it with them for the full rights. So when asked, what do you guys do with the with these animation things? The Japanese uh, studio that made it just said, you can do whatever you want with it. Whatever you do with old shows like this. And they burned most of it. The originals are gone. Ah. And as a historian, that makes me feel dirty. Sorry, that hurts my soul hearing that. Mm-hmm. It's a hard one to hear. Mm-hmm. And the, I just have to note this, too, that there's a lot of um, even films that are around that are very, very important that are still not properly preserved. I think only within the last few years, uh, Blade Runner was just put into the yeah. uh, National Film Archive. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, just like so, like so many things. It's like when you think about how long it takes for something that's so important, like like that, like as as important as Blade Runner is to mm-hmm. you know sci-fi and film and adaptation and such like that, and it took it like what thirty years to get put into the National yeah. Film Registry and Archive Systems. That well, wasn't Blade Runner from the the eighties. Yeah, we're looking mm-hmm. at almost forty years mm-hmm. now. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think Liz, yeah. what are you telling me that they did the same for Eight's music? They had to like recreate. Final oh Fantasy yeah, VIII's... so Final Final Fantasy Eight's music was actually all completely lost. Um, and so uh, this was at I learned this actually from Arnie Roth at a Distant Worlds we went to. I want to say it was the one in mm-hmm. um, Arizona or Vegas, Arizona. Kingdom Hearts was Vegas, um, but. He said, so he was actually doing a whole new song. And I want to say it was Balam Garden. God, such a good track. Very beautiful song. Such a relaxing. Yeah. And they were doing, they were doing a whole new, um, a whole new version of it. Because normally what they do with the music for Final Fantasy, when they're going to do a concert with them, they sit down. Um, especially like the old chiptune versions or like the, the ones that were synthesized or, you know, computer made. Um they sit down with um, Nobuo Uematsu and they work out how they're going to uh, translate that to orchestra. With eight, none of the original music or scores or any part of it was saved. So they had to actually like get a, like find a copy of the CD somewhere (laughs) or like of the soundtrack somewhere. And then they had to listen to it back over and over and over and over just so they could actually orchestrate it for this concert and i think now they're in the i i don't know for sure if this is true but i want to say that they are now in the process of trying to recover its music or redo it or something like that don't hold me to that might be wrong but yes they completely lost final fantasy its music <laughs> i have a renewed please back up your media <laughs> I, I have a renewed respect for that soundtrack now especially seeing as we're going to be going to distant worlds again this year since it's finally coming back to oregon yo it's so good sorry can i like derail one more time depends go for it so this has this has to do with um not archiving things so i uh i think i could get away with this one actually leo you might choose to cut this out um i will have an important reference point too actually regarding archiving 
uh, and animation though it does relate to animation and anime so um so when i uh was at a previous job um I don't think I can say what it is. Anyway, uh, when I was at a previous job, one of my coworkers wanted me to get um, a movie. I believe it was Batman versus Dracula. <laughs> um, it was an old ass movie, black and white, not good. And I was like, I bet I can get it. And he was like, I don't think you can. And I was Challenge like, accepted. bet. <laughs> I was like, bet. Guess who still can't find it? <laughs> no way. It is I it, it was never preserved. It was never archived and so it is just gone. But mm-hmm. it is a real movie. It is. So yeah. is this one of the live action serials or is this mm-hmm. a okay, they It's a live action movie. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. There was a um a Batman serialized collection that was not Adam West. It had a bunch of other stuff that was even older on it that they put out a few years ago. I doubt that one's on it. But I'm curious if they make a note about it in that. That's very fascinating. Let me see. So, okay. Batman versus Dracula is actually um, an animated movie. Or maybe it was Batman versus Ninjas. Hang on. No, that's a that's a newer one. Say, that's not, no, not Ninja Turtles. No, but not Batman, Batman Ninja. No, there's Batman actually a... versus the Ninjas. Gosh, what was it? I thought it was Batman versus Dracula. Um... <laughs> I'll, rem- I'll I'll try and remember it, it okay. but it was one that I was like, oh, maybe it was. So there is a 1967 Filipino superhero film mm-hmm. titled Batman Fights Dracula. Yeah. Ooh, I wonder if that might have been it. Which is not authorized I don't, I don't by know DC for, sure. for the record. <laughs> for the record, I don't. Not, I know which one you're talking about. Not authorized <laughs> at all. Not sure if that's the one, but I do remember being like, I can find it. Couldn't find it. Okay, anyway, so sorry for for my um preservation and in involving animation mm-hmm. and even the dubbing element this is what's really fascinating about this one is that people don't realize that gundam double zeta got an english dub mm-hmm. that was oh, yeah. barred from release ever because it was bad yes it, it <laughs> in Costa Rica, i think or mm-hmm. or another territory but finding any of the english dub footage is an absolute nightmare and there is exactly i think two full episodes that someone has archived personally off of cassette tapes as well as various clips from other episodes and uh, i think it's archive.org someone had a link for it and i was like i need to see this and see if it's as bad as they say because sunrise outright barred it from release when they were releasing all their collections recently i have not heard the word sunrise in so long I thought they still exist <laughs> um i did manage to download those from archive.org before they mm-hmm. were pulled if they were pulled i don't know if they were um and my god not good <laughs> like the main character is being offered a freaking root beer as he's about to get into his gundam it's like root beer good for you man <laughs> and it's like this is episode like 47 of 50 and this is where stuff's already hit the fan is becoming super hardcore war and war crimes. And it's like, are you marketing <laughs> this for children? I what can't get into my Gundam without my root beer. Hey, Judao, here, have a root beer, okay? It's like, no, no, no stop. Get out of here. So if you're wondering how they also saved out money in animation, so one of the things that they did to try to sort of appeal to getting more people to watch their shows and such is to take live-action casts 
and redo it for this. So, for example, there was, and you'll see this, there's Star Trek the Animated Series, which is just Star Trek, but with the same original cast. So they didn't have to, like, try to make a whole, just like, hey, we have Star Trek characters on this to appeal to to people who are fans of Star Trek and hopefully bring them over. The Scooby-Doo movies that were running around in the 70s at this time were Scooby-Doo, and they meet a special guest character, like the Harlem Globetrotters, Don Knotts, the Three Stooges. Three Stooges. I was going to say, I love that one because they have a pet bat. <laughs> There's some crazy ones. Um, oh, the Adams Family is one of my favorites. Hey, what are you uh, doing? Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Then they have, um, so they, they have these guests. So hopefully people will come to watch the guests. Also, Scooby-Doo is here. <laughs> I'm in. Honestly, my personal favorite one of those is when they meet Batman and Robin. And that's a two-parter. I was going to say, I remember that one being a really big deal. The Harlem Globetrotters. <laughs> And then they also have uh, Batman and Robin actually had their animated series. Their roles were reprised by Burt Ward and um, Adam West. Adam West, yep. Who apparently yeah, the Harlem Globetrotters were also in Futurama. <laughs> <laughs> They're come from the planet Harlem Globetrotter, or I think the planet's name is Globetrotter. I forget. I um, don't remember. That sounds <laughs> right. So long since I've okay. seen that one. So here's the thing. So they use that as source of dissociation. If we can't get you with animation, we'll get you in the, here in the door with guest stars. With recognizable names at the time. Don Knotts. Don Knotts. Which was actually a pretty funny episode. Oh, yeah. What are you doing? Gosh, I love Don Knotts. Um, so mm-hmm. since there's no one making really big animation things, you kind of get to this weird sort of dark side of the animation world. And what I mean by that is animation at this point is either going to be targeted to kids and no one else. So why don't we make adult animated films and they go dark and all over the place. There was Fire and Ice, which is animated really well-ish, but it is brutal. Um, Charlotte's Web, this is a really good one, but it was not toned down for for children. It is... I mean, we read um, the book book in elementary (laughs) school, like... I'm pretty sure that one may have been intended for adult audiences, but also like a hundred percent that story is digested by children, or at least was in my time back in my mm-hmm. day uh, on like a yearly basis. Books really do get toned down for the kid audience. But when you like read the books, like, mm-hmm. Oh my God, like James and the giant peach is a messed oh, up a book. Mess. And Charlie and the chocolate factory mm-hmm. messed up. Up. And in fact, the old movie is more faithful to the uh, to the the book than the, any other version is. Mm-hmm. Um, there was also Watership Down. If you want oh. a movie about murder, there you go. Do not watch it <laughs> if you have feelings. Uh, yeah, don't. If, <laughs> it if you will have destroy the... you. Yeah, oh. no. Um, what that that one is just like this. It shouldn't exist, as far that, as I'm concerned. That, it's so aggressive. That, that's Psycho Bunny. Yeah, scary. Yeah, just yeah, scary. And we're showing That's that to nice. children. I haven't, yeah, I haven't seen it, but one of my friends was just traumatized by it. I was just like, um, "Do you have feelings? So. Do you enjoy yeah. being happy? Don't watch, watch it. <laughs> yes, to both of them. Yeah, don't watch it. I I will not. Okay, Fritz the Cat, completely X-rated animated film. That's right, mm-hmm. and it came out around this time, but it was like a shock to cl- counterculture for for uh, about the sixties too. It is yeah, yeah. crazy, and, and it wasn't is... that one rated X without actually being explicitly pornographic? Oh no, it was super pornographic, but it <laughs> is rated for some X. Some reason that it wasn't like 
it wasn't just like, oh, this is a porn movie. I thought that so, just, it, it had some scenes in it, mm -hmm. but it wasn't explicitly just that. No, there was a lot more going on in okay, Chris the okay. Cat. It, so it was a lot, it's a lot better of a movie that's out there. I read it doesn't really articles, shy away okay? from pornographic and drug use and I think a terrorist action partway through the movie because I actually watched it recently. It's pretty good. Um, the thing was is that uh, it didn't do well in the theaters because A, it was rated X, and then P, people were confused because wasn't this a movie about a talking cat? Should I bring my kids to this? Do not. Do not bring your kids to this. <laughs> Don't do it. Well, yeah, Here's the thing. I, I think rated X stuff is virtually unheard of at that time, really, in terms of what you can find in the theater, isn't it? It's kind of unheard um, of today, too. It's unheard of today. It's especially unheard of today, mm -hmm. but... <laughs> Um, but that's essentially rated X usually me. Um, we have a new term for it now, which is unrated. Oh, X, is it NC 17? Maybe NC 17 is the other one. But, yeah. But, Cause that one yeah. actually they post in theaters like, Oh, this mm -hmm. is a, a rating, but they, you'll never find it here. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a rating, but you'll never find it in there. And most of them don't do that because NC 17 means that they have to check everyone's ID to make, because there's no wiggle room for it. R yeah, rating means that they can do as long as they're a company with adult. That's on you, parents, for dealing with this one. Yeah, NC seventeen I think is punishable by law. If, mm -hmm. uh, like, if you take someone under seventeen to it. Mm -hmm. So, but that's the thing. Here's the here's my point to this one is these are the crazy dark animated series that are out there. Keep in mind, Charlotte's Web is probably the the nicest one to deal with, and that deals with death yeah. repeatedly. <laughs> And, and aggressive trauma uh -huh. in that respect, too. I mean, because mm -hmm. um, doesn't, like, the pig, like, have an emotional breakdown? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Um, I've not seen it in so long. I, Wilbrick I can... has an emotional breakdown once he realizes Charlotte's not coming back. And Charlotte uses the last bit of her of her life to do, to write on the web to make sure that she, that Wilbur will live. Yeah. But it takes up so much of her energy to do that, it kills her. So she sacrifices her life for the for the pig. That's for a spoiler warning for Charlotte's Web. So she's trying to. So she sacrifices herself to mm -hmm. save to save Wilbur. Wilbur mm -hmm. by writing in her web that to not kill Wilbur. But then Wilbur is sad. Mm -hmm. Yes, Wilbur is sad. I can't watch it. I'll never watch it. <laughs> I refer, I wish I hadn't watched it as a child, but I did. So when I was a kid, um, my mom put on Bambi for me, and as soon as Bambi's mom died, I was like, "Peace, I'm out." <laughs> just peace. Uh, yeah, just straight up was like, "I hate this movie," and I left the room. And then any time my mom tried to put it on afterwards, would not watch. Like adamantly refused to watch it. And cure the me. Uh, cue the meme of "F this stuff, I'm out," jumping out the window. Mm. Yes, <laughs> I'm like, guess you're on your own, ma. Oh yeah, I'm nope. sorry. It wasn't Fire and Ice. That's an '80s movie. But Wizards. Um. So there's an animator. His name is Ralph uh, Bakshi. And he basically sort of pioneered the more adult-themed uh, animation series that was out there. Fritz the Cat was his big hit. Uh, after that was Wizards and then Cool World, for one thing. But he dips into topics that are racy and adult-themed and pornographic and stuff. And he does it as an animation for funsies, I guess. So if we decide to leave the 70s... Um, oh, there's one last thing. This is also where we start getting leaks, parts and pieces of what's now considered an anime, adult-themed anime. So, anime that wasn't didn't have an original younger audience for it. These are things like, and Brandon mentioned it before, Gundam starts coming over. Um, Lupin the Third, 
all the jokes in there are adult themed. That's just what it's going to be. Gundam has themes of war and various uh, and oh, Gundam's entire idea is war crime. Uh, yeah, I think a lot it... about I think a lot about Gundam because mm-hmm. like I remember growing up. I, I like I watched that on Adult or not Adult Swim, but on Toonami after school, Alien and Toonami. like I was not. I was not at a point where I could emotionally or not emotionally. I couldn't, I couldn't mentally understand like the intense politics that were happening. So I was like robots and cool boys and romance. And this is cool. And I love it. And then when Endless Waltz came out, I was so hyped for it. And I remember that I asked my dad to record it for me. So he set the the TVR or DVR and, um, he recorded it for me. And when I watched it, I was bored, brainless. And in hindsight, I realized it's because it was a lot more politically motivated than it yeah. was action motivated. And I bet because I watch, I rewatch Escaflone repeatedly. Like it's one of my favorite animes. I I want to watch that really bad. I haven't, I've only seen bits of it from when it was on Toonami. Okay. It's, it's, oh, it was, Escaflone wasn't on Toonami. Or, it no, was on, me. was it USA? ABC. ABC, excuse me. And it was when four kids had it. They got like four episodes in and were like, they couldn't chop it down enough (laughs) to make it four kids. Um, (laughs) We'll get into that four kids meme later. Yes. But so, um, as Escaflone, like, every time I rewatch Escaflone, I'm hit, like, but hit again by how much more I understand it as I get older. Mm-hmm. And I feel similarly about Gundam Wing. And so I have considered sitting down and rewatching all of Gundam Wing now that I am, because I love a good political thriller. I love political stories. Like it's something that I, I can appreciate a lot more. And so I think about that a lot now. Um, and I think about rewatching Gundam because of it. So I, I have to note on this one that Gundam Wing was the first Gundam series localized into English and it mm-hmm. was done so for Toonami in about 95. Uh, it's one of my favorite entries in the franchise, uh, which is why I know as much as I do about it. Um, it's really good. Time, I remember really yeah. enjoying it. Uh, the original, sorry, the, the original 1970s Gundam series, which took place in the year 0079 released in 1979. Go figure. Um, <laughs> that was their whole gimmick. Um, wasn't localized into English until about 2000, roughly. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was because of the radical popularity that um, Toonami saw with Gundam Wing um, from Ocean. So they started doing more dubs of the other stuff, including the original source stuff. Um, so they ended up doing like 8th MS Team, like the other OVAs, the original Gundam series, and then they did Zeta Gundam. And that's when like things started to kind of go downhill for them in terms for tsunami? of tsunami. No, no, no. For, um, for the localizing of the Gundam franchises. And yeah. that's oh. kind of what, um, w- this will actually segue into my, uh, my talk earlier about mm-hmm. the, um, the preservation because of the really uninterested and poor reception of the dub of Zeta Gundam, double Zeta did not get, um, broadcast here in America, or at least not in uh, the uh, greater states of 
the United States. Mm -hmm. um, very limited release of the English dub was put out. And um, subsequently, Sunrise was like, this is garbage. We are not going to allow it to be re-released in any regard. And they've shelved it. So when they did their re-releases of on Blu-ray and remasterings and upgrades and all of that, when they did their release of Double Zeta, it was exclusively subtitled. Even though there exists oh. a full dub rendering version of the show. Is that the one that you said had the really bad dub? Yes. Mm -hmm. That you got off of archive.org? Yes. <laughs> so, um, which I mean, granted, there are a number of cases where there are different English dubs for different countries. Dragon Ball Z is a very important one to note for that because yeah. there is a Filipino English dub of Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z and all that, that has an entirely different cast from the Funimation dub that we got over here and different, of course, even from the Ocean dub that Dragon Ball Z started with here. So the original Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z has an issue with that one. I believe there's something like 20 different ver uh, dubbed versions of it for for different nations because there's i know there's yep. the english one that we have here for the united states there's which three is way different, different english dubs <laughs> yeah there's three different yeah ones. there's because the there's funimation got i believe got rights to it and they mm -hmm. redubbed the whole thing and now they, they have they've been doing the dubbing um mm -hmm. lately and then a mm -hmm. local company somewhere else got like a, a filipino dub and that's there's a dub already in in mexico there's a dub yep. for it in canada that's set even though it's in english it's still separate from the one from the u.s yeah, it's it's crazy. Just the I think actually the Canadian dub might be the shared Filipino dub. Even it might be like um we when we get to the nineties. Oh man, this is gonna mess. this is gonna be a hell of a hell of a go because I think so, that's where we're all the strongest, honestly, in our knowledge of animation and dubbing is from that era. It's not even that. It's what happens in the eighties, which will spearhead the nineties. So true. In fact, true, true, true. that's the last note I got on that one so far. So let's move on to at least. A part of the 80s at this point. So, sure. at this point, in chronologically, we're in the 80s now. Here's where we're, I'm going to have to take a little soapbox spiel. So, in the 1980s, Ronald Reagan becomes the president of the United States and has, and pushes to have different things to be deregulated from the U.S. government. I am not here to talk about the, the opinions of the deregulation. Love it, hate it, this is its effects for this. What the regulation? It happened. That's the important thing, though. So, what happens with this deregulation is it allows it for product placements to be placed into a show. Now, where this comes in for animation to be is big because what that means is that a toy company, which is going to make or sell that toy, will go back and they can make an animated block for a show for that same toy. Then, what they do is that They'll sell that show to said network. Now, the network will pay them money for that show to be paid, uh, which goes back, the money goes back to the toy company in the end. And the toy company make, uh, pays out for all their animation stuff. And then what happens at that point, they still have blocks of time where they have commercials. The commercial breaks will have a commercial in there for said toy. So what you do is that basically the toy company will make the toy. Then with that, make the toy into an animated show so kids can watch it. With that, well, partway through the show, they get a, an advertisement for said toy in the middle of it. And so they're making money from the show along with where they're making money from the merchandise it, it's for the show to pay for the advertisement for the toy itself. It's a cost-offsetting feature. It's a cost-offsetting feature. You have money on top of money on top of money. This will come back again in the 90s 
when we talk about Evangelion and how that affects all of anime in general, because that's how Evangelion becomes the big anime in the early 90s for it. Because they have opinion about that. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get to that one in the in the in when we get to the nineties because most anime becomes a huge explosion for that. But Evangelion has a way of uh, making money off of that, which spearheads to how animation companies uh, for anime are done with the idea of international stuff. Yeah, including the dubbing features too. Yeah, I mean everything about it is. Mm. But this is sort of the start. This is where you get to where uh, where you get into some really weird cases for animation in the early 80s because of this. Um, So, a big one is He-Man. He-Man is, I think, the big starter of the whole thing. They start as a toy. They have advertisements for the He-Man toys. Then they have the He-Man show, which helps promote the toys. And for Mattel and such. If you're wondering how effective this this sort of process is, if anyone has done any video game-based history, you'll see that these are notes that are taken for specifically like Sonic the Hedgehog and how they approach that for Sega. It, yeah, because the same guy was involved. The same guy's involved for all yeah. of it. Yeah, That's a amazing guy. Weird stories about him. I've met the dude. He He's fun. Yeah. <laughs> Thing in the 80s. What we're talking about is the big difference between it. It's... When you come to animation, you now have a way of mitigating the cost of animation. Because unlike in the past, where all the animation is basically, if you had animated movies, it's ticket sales that you have. If you have animated shows, it's how much of that show that you can produce to sell the rights to. And if you're lucky, like Scooby-Doo, you get into syndication. But not everyone's that lucky for it. And so animation as a being expensive never goes away. And that problem is persists even to today. Yeah. The difference is uh, that we have more of it. Yeah. And like if the if the toys don't perform well, then the show gets canned outright. I mean, that's mm-hmm. just the, like that's what happened with Young Justice even initially. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, and that show was you, so good. Just to give a, a modern day example equivalent, like the toys have to perform or the show will not continue. Mm-hmm. Well, and I like slight tangent uh, for that one. The so people were saying Young Justice wasn't performing very well mm-hmm. um, because they refused also to acknowledge that girls watched their show, and mm-hmm. they didn't want to. They because a large portion of the fan base was female, they considered it failure. They wanted yeah. to, they wanted to market it to boys, yeah. And so the fact that girls were watching, they were like mm, failure. Which sucks because a lot of my favorite characters are there. Artemis, amazing character. Satana, love her. She was her. so cool. Also, oh, Nolan the, North Zatanna's is super awesome character. <laughs> super uh, Nolan North is Superboy. Um, was really neat. Mm-hmm. They took a different taste. Whiny little emo <laughs> boy want no daddy. <laughs> Look, Nolan's great in general. We, I mean, we don't need to simp over him. Any we'll get to the two thousands where it's I'm not- sorry. <laughs> I will continue to simp over Nolan North. He signed my Uncharted journal, by the way. That I made. <laughs> so, assuming we'll get to the mid '90s, where don't, where most of it's Nolan North as a voice actor somewhere in that. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yes. Going I mean, forward, yeah. they, we have just the one guy. <laughs> um, actually, that will come into voice acting in a professional manner. Will come into a bigger effect, especially in the going towards the '80s and the '90s when we get to there. If you're wondering how big this topic is, the '80s itself is what a lot of historians will call animated revolution. The world changes amongst us. The this. Renaissance. The Renaissance. It really is, though. 
Look at this. So you have to, uh, these tie-in toys for different series on that. Now, if you're wondering how animation works in this case, one of the weirdest things about this is, um, so you have toys such as He-Man, G.I. Joe, My Little Pony. The, they all follow that same formula, and it's working for it, which is why there's so many different generations of these shows on it. Are the shows good? No, not Debatable. always. <laughs> Debatable. <laughs> I remember watching one of these shows. Uh, what is it? G.I. Joe had a show, and to this Which day... one? <laughs> this is the original G.I. Joe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is the real American American iterations. Super patriotic. Uh, it's obviously for toys. It's kind of ridiculous. And I remember this one episode from it, which is, I think, towards the end of the like one of their seasons on it. And here's where things get kind of wonky on this. Follow me, if you will. This is the breakdown of this one episode. So, the, come on. Come on. Go to on this a journey. Story. So, G.I. Joe has been fighting Cobra. They're this massive global terrorist unit uh, that people that have been attacking everywhere, right? So, the way this episode starts, they find uh, Cobra figures out they're broke. Their accountants tell them, I'm sorry, you're broke. Um, what are you going to do about what? what? What am I going to do about this? And Cobra Commanders, uh, and so what happens is, when they, he finds out he's broke, he sends a, it's, his decision is to send a threatening letter to, or a threatening message globally to the world's populace using cardboard cutouts of his hench of his henchmen and soldiers because he can't afford to pay them. Meanwhile, they are sitting in the unemployment line. This this is in the episode. They're they're waiting in line to collect che unemployment checks because they've been fired from Cobra. Oh my god! Holy <laughs> Which crap. also means, as a meta textual for myself, means that they pay their taxes. Oh my god! They might have a four hundred one k plan. They might actually have me full medical, full dental because they have these benefits that are in there for being <laughs> working for Cobra. Come work for Cobra. I will provide you with vision insurance. <laughs> Done. So, I need new glasses. <laughs> I know, right? I, I say this as all three of the people currently in the chat are wearing glasses. So, <laughs> so with this, we're still, we're not even halfway done with this episode, right? So with that, they are, uh, so G.I. Joe sees the, the this image and they go out to attack Cobra thinking, oh no, Cobra's got there. They're, the base is completely empty. There is nothing there. Now, if you're wondering what happens next, again, still part of this episode. If you can find this episode, I wish I knew its name. Hilarious. Because the next thing that they see that the, while they raid the base is that the Cobra official weapons and gear and and large marketing for these, for these things are being currently auctioned off by the IRS <laughs> to pay back their back taxes on this. <laughs> I wit, I want this desperately to be the final episode. It's one oh, of the final episodes. It would be episodes. such a perfect end episode because it's like, how did G.I. Joe win? No, no, no. Cobra went to... bankrupt. So here's, here's the better thing about that. G.I. Joe's in threat of being shut down because their only job is to stop Cobra. Oh, my God. <laughs> Again, yes. this is coming up in this episode. All right. So... Cobra Commander is desperate because he has no money, no no terrorist organization. The whole thing is is gone. So he goes to Louisiana and he finds this little person who also runs a mo a small mob mafia in Louisiana, and decides to steal all of his money. God, <laughs> I, I'm sorry, but so I Cobra. Can't... 
So Cobra got involved with, they stole from the mob to pay their taxes? Not at, no, no, the taxes are being taken care of by the auction. He just needs more money to restart Cobra. This is his, and this is his genius <laughs> plan, you see. He, uh, he gets a giant loan from a loan shark here who, were, who is part of a mafia that's in Louisiana, gets all this money, and immediately steals it. And you know how I know he steals it? Because he tells him, I am now stealing your money. See ya, sucker. <laughs> Again, still the same episode. We haven't even stopped this episode, which is not in part two. We're in the worst part of this episode. Oh so, God. Cobra finds a couple of mercenaries that he used to employ, rehires them. Now, here's where things get brilliant. When he rehires them, he decides to take that group of mercenaries, turn them into a rock band, so he can hold a huge concert to have to blast sound waves to hypnotize people into giving him more money. What kind of whack job extraterrestrial <laughs> timeline did you find this episode from? Jeez. I heard about this once and I'm like, why do I have a vague memory of this? And then I found it. And this is glorious. You can't get more meta than this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's in the original show. It's towards the end. And I know this because the episode I was thinking was completely wackadoo was when episode of G.I. Joe where they ran out of funding to the point that they didn't give them it, that the funding was being cut for their bullets. And my first thought as a kid, as a kid watching the show going, you know, they can't hit worth a damn anyway. What? This is actually a, not a bad plan. <laughs> because you can't show injuries especially in the 80s for it so lasers are being fired everywhere unless a gi a member of gi joe gets into it within two feet and then punches the guy sure you can just punch the guy out if you want to gi joe comes over to stop they, they decide we're going to round up the blast of our guys because we're still got a little bit of a paycheck going until next week let's go stop cobra they get their guys they go to stop cobra they bust down the the the, the band and cobra takes the money and jumps off the car and then runs away <laughs> That just makes me think of the, to go back to the Hanna-Barbera stuff, the meme <laughs> from Skeletor. Till we meet again! Mm -hmm. And he <laughs> runs away. And you just gotta assume he's got money now to start a whole new Cobra plan. Oh my god, I'm just... And this is all in, what, 24 and a half minutes of an yeah. episode? This is the most insane episode of this thing. Um, I don't even know how this got to air. I don't even know why it's in there, but... It is amazing. I'm curious if it did air. <laughs> oh, it aired. It aired. That's crazy. So sometimes you have writers in shows that basically we need to fill a gap. This isn't like Transformers, which is another toy-based thing that happened around this time, which took time and effort to make sure to build intricate plots for itself in order to build up a little story, even though they were episodic. G.I. Joe just sometimes go in off the rails. <laughs> And I'm not even talking about that one show. I think it's called Brave Star, where you have Space Texas. Oh, so are we? Gonna, we're going to talk about Space Texas, but we're not going to talk about Space Australia. Um, Dragon no. Ball Z. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, cause, we ain't so, there yet. What is it? I think it's called Brave Star. The main character has a partner, which is a horse called Thirty Thirty, as in the gun caliber, because it's also. It's cyber western. The concept for it is I'm in. <laughs> My brain hurts so much still. I'm recovering from the G.I. Joe episode. <laughs> but the thing is, G.I. Joe has tons and tons and tons of toys, and these are the episodes they need to make to get this thing going. And unlike some of these shows, G.I. Joe went on for years. 
and went under multiple rebrands even later just to like revitalize it for mm-hmm. a different generation. You also get into an interesting animation trick that a lot of these companies will do, which is to not stick with one animation company. Yep. To break it up. Now, what this does is it saves some cash uh, money from instead of having one animation company to make one set of episodes, you have multiple animation company making multiple episodes. So you could fill. So one animation company may make three or four. Another one will make another three or four. Another one will make a couple more. And then you have about 30 episodes in total for a season. Some of these seasons will get wackadoo. Yeah, and they're making them in tandem, too. I mean, you've got Mm -hmm. Company A working on episodes one, four, and six, whereas Company B is working on everything in between, and Mm -hmm. Company C is doing a whole different set, and they're doing that all together in a lot of cases, I'm sure, like side by side, so that way they can meet a deadline. I mean, that's just how that works. Mm -hmm. Now, it actually, I think we're still doing, it's very rare nowadays, a lot of these times, to have one single animation company work on entirely on a series. Yeah, there's a lot of support studios in in a lot of these. Um, There's primaries and there's support. I knew one company, so for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in 87, when that becomes big, and boy, how did that come again? And yes, it's based on the toy line, which is also based off a comic line, and no one saw that becoming the big hit of the 80s slash early 90s. Then movies. When they did this, though, they're, um, if you ever go back to watch the episodes, a lot of their, and they had a lot of episodes. It's a 10 season long series. Uh, it's a 10 season long series, which is also unheard of at this point in time. We're not at the point of mid 90s where The Simpsons takes over. So, what happens with this toy thing is that they get to a point where um, the first four episodes is done as a mini series of the original 87 turtles the thing is they got i think toei does the animation for it it was a big animated anime studio did the animation originally for those episodes and then they had other more local studios to do it because it was so expensive to make those first episodes but those first episodes gold at the state amazingly done and then it takes a dive in animation quality but it gave a template for the art which was also important yeah, sometimes some you have to have a template for these things, which I remember the discussion of it was kind of weird. We need a main uh, villain. Let's do the Shredder. Okay, in the comics, Shredder's been dead since issue one. Right. Yeah, in the first issue, they killed him off. They didn't ex- expect him to have to come back or anything like that. And animation in the 80s gets kind of weird. Now, if you're wondering what Disney does in this, this is where Disney comes back. In a big way, mostly out of spite. Let me wheel you back a little bit. Did you ever see of a movie or a movie called The Great Mouse Detective? Oh, absolutely. Okay. It's a good movie, actually. I, I saw it recently. Really good. Now, at the same time, another animated movie is made by a former Disney uh, animator named um, Don Bluth. Don Bluth, who was bitter at the Disney at this time, wanted to basically make uh, prove that he could make a better animated movie. Disney has been out of the game for a while. And... Don Bluth starts working on different projects. What he makes is a Five Old American Tale. I think it's just called American Tale. An American Tale, Five Old Goes West is the sequel. So right. yes, the, the it's just called American Tale. Okay. There's Five, I think story. it's like got a subtitle of Five Old's Great Adventure or something. Yeah, something like that. I know it's an American Tale. That's, yeah, that's correct. The, the thing is that the American t- it's beautifully animated. It's well, oh, yeah. well done. It's got a lot of subtext, a lot of personality a lot of different designs that are really well done and it's the first movie that's animated 
to outperform and out-award Disney. With a direct competitor at the time. It's a I direct they, competitor of our Disney that for, beats Disney. They had Disney. a film that same year, yeah? Yeah, they both came out the same year, but the yeah. American Tale does better. Right, I just wanted to make sure that they actually had a Disney film they were up against that they... That they mm, that's the, the that's the uh, Great Mouse Detective. In fact, oh, this that one was Disney. Yes, you're right. Yeah. So the Great Mouse Detective is made by Disney. Uh, five. Uh, the American Tale is made by Don Bluth Studios. Now, this gets Disney to get off its laurels, and at which point they decide, okay, we've lost. We are not going to do that again. The next big animated movie that they work on takes them years to get it going, but it's The Little Mermaid, which slams. The Oscar, oh, it like gangbusters, a huge amount of awards when it came out, and it outperformed every movie. Uh, every movie when it came out, it was like gangbusters is what they were in. They still made other movies. I think uh, uh, Oliver and Company came out around this time too. That sounds right. Yeah, mm-hmm. but with but the the thing between Don Bluth and Disney is what causes Disney to continuously and from now on to not want to lose out to animation if they can help it. And that's why you, every so often you get another couple of years, Disney makes a huge a new movie, it becomes a huge hit, and some of these animation movies can take, what, years to get made? Oh, yeah. Like, I remember, I think it's The Incredibles, between The Incredibles and Incredibles 2, the reason why they didn't make a sequel right away is because it wasn't in the queue. It took a forever, because they had to plan so far in advance to get those things to go through. Well, and they rotate um, their their animators and workers across multiple projects too. I'm sure. So, <laughs> um, now if you wonder how Don Bluth does for this, it gets kind of weird because uh, Don Bluth makes a video game, which becomes one of the biggest hits in the early '80s for arcades. For the arcades, and it is um, Dragon's Lair. Yes. If you've ever seen Dragon's Lair, beautifully animated thing. It is a simplistic system. Left, right, up, down, maybe a th- uh, maybe an attack once in a while. I, I want to simp a little bit for uh, Princess Daphne in that, because... Mm-hmm. Fair. Fire. If you ever watch the mechanics for it, so the way it works out, this is the early days of Laserdisc. So before oh, we even God, get to CDs, right. they made this on a di- Laserdisc, and they had to do that so the animation looked smooth. And what happens is, when you're going from one stage to the next stage, it will move a track certain games out there will actually do things to trick the the system so you don't pay attention to moving tracks a famous one is resident evil the door sequence is it switching from one track to another yeah it's hard-coded um loading is what they're for mm-hmm. they're loading each room independent yeah symphony of night does that there's little areas that are that you will literally see a disc and it says cd and there's two statues on the side you're just walking past to go from one area to it's another a tiny hallway into a hallway and that's just it uh and they don't take it out of any of the newer versions even though they don't need to but yep. it's the game because the original that came out was on cd it was it switching tracks to go to the next areas fun fact the resident evil ds port mm-hmm. of the very first game still has the um the door animations, but they can be skipped. So Don Bluth makes this game and it blows the arcades out in the, uh, out of the water, mostly because it's the prettiest thing out there. You could play with any like eight bit Pac-Man that's moving around or this full on animated movie. Yeah. Like straight up. I mean, that's another thing I think for the, um, laser disc was the 
just the the resolution of the animation they could get to display on the screen was a mm-hmm. big part of why they did that for the um, the cabinets, which some of them, I think, didn't they have to replace a number of Laserdisc players for a lot of machines because they were so overran with people playing it? Partially. It's mostly because the Laserdisc was sensitive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, because you have a human... You basically have a record for a video. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, if people were like, I'm going to try and tilt it like my pinball, and then they <laughs> just destroy the whole thing. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but the thing is that he helps do so much more for animation by pioneering basically a way to say you can do this bigger, these better animation things. Um, you don't have to stick with this. You can go with your own style and is sort of the number one independent animator out there. That's not Disney. Now we have a lot more now. Like now we have a ton more on there that's out there for for animation studios um but back then now we, uh, there wasn't really a need to compete now there is a need to compete because somebody can because somebody can hit that mark but yeah so don bluth does a ton and he has a lot of really good animation series the only sort of downside with his story is he could not get get back on top like after from american tale he could never hit that height again for some reason not for lack of trying, he just couldn't. Don Bluth? Don Bluth. Uh, Anesthesia. That was his last hurrah. Mm-hmm. If I remember right. I think after no, no, no. that, he got he... taken out altogether. Like, he just couldn't... He also did Titan AE, but Titan AE was definitely under the radar. It's still really yeah. good, but it is yeah. under the radar. But mm-hmm. Anastasia was his last... Was his last, like, huge one. Well, it's because I think Titan AE performed so poorly, they didn't really have any kind of back funding afterwards. Like, they were, like, Anastasia Mm -hmm. was like, well, we can do one more movie, and unfortunately, it also underperformed, and it's probably because of the stigma of Titan AE's poor performance. Anastasia was so good, though. Like It's animation. Gorgeous. And the the story is great. The music is beautiful. Like that's what you get with rotoscoping, though. Like rotoscoping, mm-hmm. rotoscoped animation can actually give you a lot better and more fluid feeling and more realistic looking animation because you are literally drawing over real life. So they got actors and actresses to act out the scenes, and then they just drew over the actors and actresses, yeah. and that's why like like her grandmother looks like judy dench i believe it's judy dench um (laughs) because it is and they like yeah they they managed to get um like all these amazing uh like the beautiful beautiful animation literally because of that like i love rotoscoping is so good super underrated uh i don't think that's judy dench it might be angela lansbury oh angela lansbury that's it I haven't seen that movie in so long, so... Yeah, so the thing I don't know is why that... I thought Judy Dench. But yeah, like, that's another thing that becomes really popular um, in animating for, like, a second. Like, rotoscoping does not last very long because it is very difficult to do. Yeah, it's very labor-intensive because you literally are going through frame by frame. Yeah, but you, you are getting some amazing animation doing it's it. It's so smooth, but yeah, you aren't animating on twos with rotoscoping. Like you are going frame by frame by frame by frame to get that to look as beautiful. There's actually a video game that was rotoscoped. Yeah, um, the first Prince of Persia. 
Oh, really? Yep. I watched I watched Kent play a little bit of that. Do you mean the first, like the old computer one? The original computer the, one. Um, okay. I, I should actually recorded his brother doing all the movements and stuff. I and shouldn't have doubted you because it. the number of people that this is super quick side tangent, but the number of people that think the Sands of Time trilogy or the original Prince of Persia's are <laughs> astounding. No, I, I literally 120 minute total length because the game says F you do it. Every time. time you restart. <laughs> you still have lost that time yeah yep. uh, i just remember one of my i remember a friend of mine specifically saying that he didn't like the 2008 prince of persia movie because it was a different prince but he had he only knew about the sands of time trilogy and i was like there's been like 16 princes that's not and, and bro bro jordan mechner made the movie the guy that made the games made the movie yeah. <laughs> and so this is probably one of the, the reasons movie. why <laughs> this is I, one of the I, reasons I, why I wanted to bring up animation as a topic. Animation is big in video games as well, but their start is from the animation that's th- that comes out earlier than that. Correct. Um, hard truth. Hard truth. And um, in fact, animation is key on how they made Super Mario Brothers, the original game, on the NES, as brilliantly as they did by f- making the system animate early. So what happens is that in the original Super Mario Brothers, you cannot go backwards in any stage. And what they do is that they take that system and they make it so that way it will animate, I think it's four or five units ahead. I forget how you do the math. So you take a screen and it's sort of divided into eighths, okay? The game will animate this eighth, this eighth, this eighth, this eighth, this eighth, and then you have a whole screen. Now, in a normal tradition, in a normal game, by this point in time, what happens is that they, uh, what Nintendo did, which was genius, was to make it animate twelve. Now, so it animates a couple of screens extra, and by doing so, they trick the game by not making you go backwards, so that way they're animating forwards. And by the time you get to the, to the the last eighth, it's already drawn, and the game is drawing the stuff that's in front of it. Now, what that does is it makes it so that way it's a lot more seamless to do to do this animation. And that seamless animation becomes the start of the major video game revolution that we have nowadays and going forward. This engine is so classy, it becomes the backbone of other games like um, 3D shooters have their backbone in Super Mario Brothers. Because Doom is, is designed using a similar system for uh, for Super Mario Brothers, which in turn makes Doom, which Doom in turn makes other 3D shooters like Half Life and then Halo, and so their all starts come from this one at little animation sequence to make it more seamless. You just push the boundaries for these things. So one of the things I think is funny is Don Bluth makes the animation for for the game Dragon's Lair. However, Don Bluth is not responsible for the animated series. That is. Dragon's Lair. So it's animated really cruddily from a back obviously because that's how things were done to get it done cheap. Yep. But yeah, Don Bluth himself, great animator, great innovator, does so much. And like Anastasia, amazing. So Rotoscope is sort of is still used traditionally, but not as big as it was outside of Anastasia. What do you mean traditionally? A lot of movies and such will still go through Rotoscope, but it's an old... I don't think they do anymore. Not anymore, but you'll... It's, I, I don't well, think that Rotos... Because rotoscoping... 
it's rotoscoping is different than like motion capture right um i think it's more about like if they're i guess because i I don't think rotoscoping is generally done at all like i think it was for early 3d animation Mm -hmm. because at the time they didn't have motion capture so they had to have something to base their their 3d effect off of from there when it comes to like the alteration digitally of someone's appearance i'm guessing there i mean i'm um yeah there's a few studios that are still doing rotoscoping even now it's very rare to do that though well, I'm not saying that it's completely do done or not done yeah. anymore. I just like it's not a popular thing anymore. It's not something when you were saying that that rotoscoping is generally done now, I was like done by who? Oh, ah. as in as in finished being used, I think. Oh, okay. oh I was like I think that yeah. Leo's mistaken. <laughs> <laughs> I use words in places, but yeah, I no, it, and um, oftentimes I am wrong. <laughs> it's kind of like how there's so many more CG based uh, movies and shows now, but oh, yeah. there's still the hand animations that are out there. I usually see you can point out rotoscoping when it's a dance sequence, though, more often than anything else. Oh, yeah. It's weird, but at least that's where I see those more often. Now, before I leave us off on this one, one of the bigger ones on here, which becomes really weird, is um, Disney itself become uh, does this weird thing with a gummy bears. They're bouncing here and there and everywhere. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, the reason why it's weird is because essentially gummy bears at one point is used to sort of prove that, yes, we can make an animated series of really good quality with not a lot, with not nearly as much budget as we, that we need. And gummy bears actually has a big, deep story to itself. They have lore. There's a whole world behind it because I think they're the last of the gummy bears that have to stay behind to keep to keep them to keep people from finding out their secret. And so there's this deeper story that goes on with the gummy bears. So they have a deep story. They have consistent lore, and they're still a high quality animation. Like Disney has started becoming making into what the Disney Afternoon Block which was a series of shows that were a block of animation series that were all Disney. It started with Gummy Bears, then they had DuckTales that came later, and then they had Rescue Rangers, then added to that was Darkwing Duck, and then also with that, Tailspin, and then also with that, they had um, Gargoyles was the last one that got added to that, or one of the last good ones that were added to that. There's actually, uh, I think, two more series, but they are not great. But the point being is that you can get this Disney-based quality of animation with a budget that we can have for for a TV show. And so, which is weird to think that Gummy Bears is the one that we're going to have to stick with. <laughs> that that This is where we're going to plant our flag, right here. On the Gummy Bear show? Yeah, on the Gummy Bear show. We're doing this. Buy our candy. <laughs> All right. That being said, I'm going to call this episode here. We'll be back for a part when we get into the major parts of the animation revolution, which is the late 80s and the 90s itself. Because that is a whirlwind of, of things. So thank yes. you, everybody, who's who, who are listening. And we'll see you in part two of this episode. And this is Gaming Theater, logging out. Bye, everybody. See ya. Bye. Gaming Theater Podcast is hosted, created, produced, and edited by Leo Garcia, the Geek Scorpio. Our music is A Drinking Game 
Stock media provided by Stormwave Audio slash Pond5. Our cover art is by Adam Parker. You can find him at ParkerGFX on Twitter. If you want to send us some financial support to help with producing things for gaming theater, you can do so at patreon.com slash gaming theater presents. It helps us out. Want to send support that doesn't hit your wallet? Please leave a review with wherever you hear your podcasts and share our podcast with your friends. It really helps out. Thank you for listening. <laughs>